everybody doing this morning? The, uh, the song, Savior, uh, it's one of those songs that really connect me to the heart of God. It's, it's just one of those songs, and I was listening to it this morning before I even got to church, and, and just the words where it, it's talking about He is Savior, He is Savior, and it keeps going over and over the very first part of the song, He is Savior, and it's very, you know, matter of fact, proclaiming truth, but all of a sudden the song switches, and it switches to very, a very personal God. And he says, you are Savior. You are my Savior. And just when it switches there in, in my own heart, it just, it just does something for me because I remember when, yeah, I knew that, that Jesus was the Savior. I knew that he was the God and all this kind of stuff as a teenager. But, but I remember the moment when he went from being just the Savior to my Savior, my God, my Lord, the one who saved me from my sins. And just that song is just incredible. I appreciate Rod doing that. It's so good to have Rod here. He kind of balances out the staff a little bit. And what I mean by that is, is Tim is a sweater, and so is Rod, if you haven't noticed. He's over there like, ah. And uh, I'm not. I don't sweat that much. And Nicole, I don't, I don't know. Me and Nicole really haven't had that conversation if she does or not. But... Um, and Warren doesn't, so, uh, you know, it kind of balances the whole thing out, so we, we appreciate that. Um, <laughs> it is very important, isn't it? Um, all right, Acts, he can't, he can't help himself. Uh, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1 this morning. I love the opportunity to preach. Uh, it's just, you know, I, I get really nervous I kind of like Brother Jimmy. In fact, like five people this morning were like, you need to preach like Brother Jimmy. I was like, I'll try to like clap my hands. And I didn't, I don't know if y'all got that yet. I, mean, I don't know if I can really do that, but uh, I, just, I just can't do that. I'm too, I'm too me. Uh, but, but I do appreciate the opportunity to preach. Uh, you know, I'm not worthy. I don't know why I'm up here, but I love the word of God. I love the gospel. I love what Jesus is doing here. I think he's got bigger and even better plans for this church I can't wait to see what God has for us and I'm really excited about what he has um, Acts chapter 1 we're going to look at verses 1 through 11 but before that let's pray Lord we love you we thank you for being not just the Savior but thank you for being our Savior thank you for loving us so much that you came here to die for us you took our sins away. And Lord, I pray that, that this morning that we would honor you, that we would glorify you in everything that is said, everything that is done. Lord, I pray that you would just receive all that glory. Lord, I pray that nothing would be done this morning that, that would take away from you. Lord, I pray that every single word that I say, God, would be the words that you would have to be said. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us this morning. I pray that you would do something in our hearts. I pray that you would draw us to the cross. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Luke says this, In my first book I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. 
John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. The other day, me and Tim were having this conversation uh, just about ministry in general, and I was kind of going through some frustrations that I had in ministry and some things that that just kind of get under me in a, in a certain way that just don't make sense. I get really frustrated. And we started talking. I was like, have you ever felt like that in just church where you feel like you're almost to the point where God really is about to explode and he's really about to do something amazing and then all of a sudden we get pushed back? And he's like, yeah, of course, I feel like that all the time. And I was like, why is that? Why, why do I feel like that in my own personal life? Why do I feel like that in, in the youth ministry sometimes that we're almost there, that we'll see huge strides, and then all of a sudden we get knocked back? We started evaluating this whole thing, and I kind of came to the conclusion of, of this, that so many times when things are going great and we're almost to the tipping point, we're almost over the edge where we see God do some, some crazy, amazing things, I'm allowing God to do whatever I'm trusting God for whatever he has, but up to a certain point, I let that happen. Then all of a sudden, I reach back over from the, the passenger side and grab hold of the steering wheel. And I take back control of the ministry, I take back control of my life, and I get knocked back. Instead of allowing God and trusting God to, to just let it go. And he's like, yeah, I definitely, I definitely know what you're talking about. And I, and I started thinking about this whole thing of the tipping point, of reaching that point where God just does something amazing in our ministry, does something amazing in our church, where God does something amazing in our families, where he brings families back together by the power of the gospel, and he's saving people in Woodburn by the power of the gospel, and we're reaching people all across the, the world by the power of the gospel, and it's just it's happening. And so many times what we do is grab back hold of the controls, and we try to take control ourselves. And I know that's the case in my, my own life. But what is, a, what is the tipping point? What is a tipping point? I'm going to give you the very scholarly definition that I did not make up, that I had to look up because I'm not very scholarly. It says this, uh, the point at which a series of small, ineffective changes acquires enough pressure or importance to cause a larger, more significant change. All right, everybody get that? All, everybody's face was like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, I knew that would happen. But pretty much what it's saying is you got a lot of small things, they pile up, and all of a sudden a big thing happens, and, it's, and it happens in such a way that there's momentum, and you can't stop it. That's the tipping point. Don't think we're quite there yet in our church, but we're close. And so today I want to kind of talk about how does a church get to the tipping point? How does an individual get to the tipping point? How does a family get there? Let me give you three characteristics of a tipping point, and then I'm going to show you a visual because... I'm an ex-children's pastor. I need a visual uh, to, to drive this home, so I'm going to show you that. Three characteristics of a tipping point are this. Contagiousness. Little changes have big effects, 
And change happens in one dramatic moment. With every revival that's ever happened in every church or in every region of the country, you've had these things happen. Where the gospel becomes contagious, where, where God begins to do something in a small group of people in the church, whether it be teenagers or adults or whatever the case may be, and it's exciting and it's energetic and it's, and it's something you want to be a part of and it ends up being contagious and it spreads to the rest of the, the crowd, the rest of the church, and then it spreads to outside the church. It's contagious. And it always happens with a small group, a few people get on fire for God and then larger things begin to happen. And it always happens in one dramatic moment and you can't stop it. So for a visual, I want to, you got to bear with me a little bit because I'm going to, bring this out all right what we have some of y'all are laughing already uh, and, and some of you are scared and some of you are like well it was nice knowing you but <laughs> what we have is an ordinary diet coke who likes diet coke in here anybody like to drink it Okay, I'll give you a mouthful here in a second. Um, this is an ordinary Diet Coke. If you went to Walmart or Kroger or whatever, you passed down the aisle and you had an aisle full of Diet Cokes, you would not be able to pick this one out of the, the crowd. They're, they're all the same. They're all basic. They're all normal Diet Cokes. Is there anything that, that makes this one stand out amongst all the other Diet Cokes? No. But there's something that I'm going to do to it that will make it stand out. And make it very exciting to be around. Um, but you can take this to churches. If you go down the street of most, especially southern towns, you come across dozens and dozens and dozens of churches. Dozens and dozens of Christians. Hundreds and hundreds of people that proclaim Christ. But what makes those people, what makes those churches stand out? Many times it's the size of the building or it's the size of the youth ministry. It's the programs they have. And all that's just irrelevant, really. But when the gospel gets a hold of a people, when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of a people, something amazing happens. It becomes contagious. Little things create big stirs. And it happens in one dramatic moment. So what I want to do is I want to just kind of illustrate that. Whoa now, it's already excited. So you got an ordinary Diet Coke. And you've got some ordinary Mentos, okay, ordinary Mentos. Separated, they're, they're not that big a deal. It's not, it's not that big a deal. But when, once little things are introduced to something that is very ordinary, something amazing happens. Yes, I did spill that on the stage. <laughs> All right. Now... Let's just say that you were walking through Kroger, passing by the Diet Cokes, and all of a sudden, that one Diet Coke did that. Wouldn't that create a little bit of excitement? Be like, oh my goodness, you know. It, and that's kind of the thing here, and that's kind of the illustration. You know, I can read that definition all day long, and your faces are like, but the moment, all the kids were like, yes! And some of the older folks were like, no. <laughs> The difference, you pass by Diet Cokes, ordinary Diet Cokes, you pass by ordinary churches, you work with ordinary Christians, and, and it's very boring at times. It's very just normal. It's very mundane. 
but you insert the gospel. You insert the Holy Spirit in the midst of a group of teenagers, a group of uh, single ladies Sunday school class, or a men's ministry, and guess what happens? Something amazing happens. The Holy Spirit begins to work and lives begin to change and it becomes a very contagious thing. This Diet Coke, obviously it was very contagious. It, it spewed everywhere and it went all over the place. It, even, it wouldn't even stay in the confines of the, of the tote. And guess what? When the gospel, when the Holy Spirit enters a church like this, it will not stay in these walls. It will go to the world. It will be contagious and people will want that. They are not gonna, people will come to your church for a big building or a nice program for a short amount of time. But every single person in this room, I think, wants something more. They want something more. They want to see lives changed for, for the gospel's sake. They want to see people that are on fire for God doing something for God, not just sitting on a pew Sunday after Sunday wasting their time. The gospel, when it's inserted in the lives of people, it changes things. It reaches a tipping point. And, but God, and God begins to do things that can only be explained by God doing them. When I was a teenager, uh, it was after camp one day, and uh, I, was, I was at this camp in Alabama. A bunch of us teens went there. And I'll never forget one night in particular. We'd gone through the services. We'd sang the songs and all that kind of stuff. I couldn't tell you the person that was preaching. I couldn't tell you the songs that were sang. I couldn't tell you any of that stuff. But one night really, really late, we were sitting in the back of a pickup truck, uh, me and some of my, my buddies, and we began to talk about this whole what does Jesus want me to do with my life kind of conversation. And we started going through things and stuff like that. And we started praying together. And, and all of a sudden, we started going around the circle. And was like, you know what? Let's, let's, let's quit playing games. Let's really see what God can do. And as junior, uh, juniors in high school, we were all sitting around that truck. And all of us went around and were like, you know what? I want to do something great for God. I want, I want to do whatever God wants me to do. I'll go wherever God wants me to go. I'll, I'll make that decision. If it, if it you know, ruffles some feathers, okay, that's okay. I want to do what God wants me to do no matter what. We ran around that truck. And that night was the tipping point in our whole youth ministry, our whole youth group. From that point to the time I graduated high school, we had dozens of teenagers getting saved. Every single week on Wednesday night, teenagers were getting saved. Teens were getting baptized. And all of a sudden, something really cool happened. It went and spread from the youth group to the parents of the youth. And it spread from the parents to the grandparents of the youth group. And all of a sudden, you had an old-fashioned revival taking place in our church. And God was doing some crazy, incredible things. Marriages were getting back together. The lives were being changed. And we were reaching people left and right all over the town of Amory. And it all happened. And, and I, it all, it, the catalyst was this tipping point in the back of a pickup truck with high school boys. Every single one of us in that, that group, except for one guy, is spread all over the country as a, a preacher, a youth pastor, a pastor, whatever. You know, there's a missionary in there also. And the thing is, is it's like that one night changed it all. And those little things leading up to that one night were little, somewhat ineffective, but little nonetheless. And they piled up, and all of a sudden, one dramatic moment, everything changed. So how do you go from being normal to incredible? How do you go from going through the motions to being on mission? How do you go from being explained by man's work 
to explain, but only God can do these things. How do you go from Peter in Luke chapter 22 where he's denying Christ, saying, I, I, I don't even know this guy. This little girl comes up, it's like, you've, you've got you've to be one of the... Little girl, I don't know him. I don't know who, that, who you're talking about. How do you go from that guy to Acts chapter 2? Where he says, you are the ones who murdered Christ. You are the ones that put Christ. You need to repent of your sins. You need to turn from your sins. And then 3,000 people get saved. How do you go from that Luke 22, Peter, to Acts chapter 2, Peter? How do you see a church that's almost there become the church that God just explodes and does something like that? How do you go from being an ordinary Diet Coke to something that creates that much excitement so that's what we're talking about today so number one let's look at Acts chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 it'll be a church that is focused on the gospel a church that is focused on the gospel Acts 1 1 through 3 it says in my first book talking about Luke it's a this is a continuation of the book of Luke I told you Theophilus about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit during the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. So what Jesus was doing is his, he was coming to the apostles, going around with the apostles over and over again, showing that he was alive, telling them about what he had done for them. In other words, sharing the gospel with the apostles. There's so many people that believe the gospel is great, it's great for salvation, but that's it. And the truth is, the gospel is not only great for salvation, it's great for daily life. You never get beyond the gospel. If you get beyond the gospel, you're beyond it. You always go back to the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation and unto holy living. I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. Love this passage of Scripture. It says this. And now, verse 6. And now, just as you accepted Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. And let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong and, the truth, and in the truth you were taught. And you will overflow with thankfulness. So catch that. Notice it doesn't say anything about programs. It doesn't say anything about church attendance. It doesn't say anything about any of that kind of stuff, being a good person, whatever. It says this, as you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, you've put everything, you put your faith in him, you put your faith in who, who he is and what he's done for you on the cross. You've done that. Continue in that. Continue in that. Because that's where the life change is going to take place. If you want a tipping point in your life, a tipping point in the church, it's got to go, always go back to the gospel. It's always got to go back to who God is and what he's done for you. That's the reason we sing songs like the songs that we sang today. Jesus paid it all. Why do we sing that week after week, things like that? Because we have to be, constantly remind ourselves and pull ourselves back to who Christ is and what he's done for us. If we get beyond that, we're just... We're not going to be effective. We're not going to do anything for Christ. It goes back to the gospel every single time. Through his life, we've been given hope. 
Through his death, we've been given life. And through his resurrection, we've been set free. You've been set free from your sins. If you're a follower of Christ, you put your faith in Christ, Christ has taken his righteousness and given it to you. He's taken away your sins. He's forgiven you of your sins, and he's given you his righteousness. That's what God has done for you. We've always got to go back to the gospel. We've always got to go back to what Christ has done for us. If we're ever going to reach the tipping point, if we're ever going to go over the edge as a church and really see God explode in this place and in our lives, it's got to be with the foundation of the gospel. It's got to be that. We can't get beyond that. Number two, it'll be a church that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 4 and 5 of Acts chapter 1. Let's go back there. I'm actually sweating. I'm standing way too close to Rod. I need to step over here. Never sweat. I guess it's because I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt. Um, number two, church will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. It says this in verses 4 and 5. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now skip down to 7 and 8. It says he replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says here, he says, listen, apostles, followers, you're going to receive a gift. A re receive a gift that the Father has promised to give you. He says, once you receive that gift, you will have power to be my witnesses automatically. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you'll have that power to be witnesses all over the world. Number one, it's a gift. God has given us a gift to the Holy Spirit. But just like any gift, you can either accept it or reject it. It's kind of that thing. And so many times we're terrified of the Holy Spirit and what it's going to do. Because this is a Baptist church. And, you know, if you get too cozy with the Holy Spirit, then you start going crazy. But that's not, that's not necessarily true. We, we Baptists can enjoy the Holy Spirit. And we need to understand that, that, the, that God has given us the Holy Spirit. And it's just like a gift. We it can either push it away or we can bring it in and accept it. And that's what God wants us to do. And it says in verses 7 and 8 that, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The words come upon you actually mean, one definition of it is assault. When the Holy Spirit assaults you. It's kind of the idea when Jacob was wrestling with God. And God had come and wrestled with Jacob. Jacob would not let him go. And, and, and God was trying to you know, get away and all this kind of stuff. And he was assaulting Jacob and all this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, he, he knew that he wasn't get away. So, so God touched the, the thigh, the hip of Jacob. And Jacob walked with a limp from that point on. And Jacob was like, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And God did just that and changed Jacob's life that night. The tipping point in Jacob's life was the night that he wrestled and was assaulted by God. And that's exactly what will happen in our lives when we allow the Holy Spirit to control us and empower us. Lives change. As you receive the Holy Spirit, you will, be, you will have the power to witness. 
We're so terrified of of witnessing and telling people about Jesus, but I promise you this. The more you allow the Spirit to control your life, the more that you'll have the power to witness and tell people about your story. And the teens, I tell them a lot of times, they're like, what do I say? What do I do? I don't know know how to tell people about Jesus. And they they think it's this big formula that you're supposed to to know, and you, you tell people about Jesus from that formula. But the truth is, I tell them, do what Paul did. Tell people what Jesus did for you. And if you can tell people what Jesus did for you, then you become a witness for him because that's all a witness is. They tell people what they saw, what happened to them, and that's where lives change. In Acts chapter 2, just one page over, you see this. This is the, the story of Pentecost. And Peter begins to preach to the crowd. And he says this in verse number 17. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out or fully, you will fully experience my spirit among all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on on my servants and men and women alike and they will prophesy. Scoot down to verse number 32. It says this, God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. Verse 37. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. There it gives you permission for preachers to preach a long time. Um, Strongly urging them to be, uh, all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Keep going. Verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day, met in the homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Also an um, advertisement for eating together. That's a good thing. Verse 47, all the while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Our goal in baptisms this year are, anybody know? A hundred. Do you think that could happen? That's a lot. But don't you think, don't you think that God has bigger plans than that? Don't you think that God can do something amazing in our church? And the truth is it all comes through the the gospel which is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And when you let your church, you let your ministries and let your, your families and your individual lives be empowered and controlled by the Holy Spirit, things like this happen. Peter was not before. He was scared of little girls around a bonfire because of Jesus. He was scared to even mention that he was around Jesus. But all of a sudden, a tipping point occurred in Peter's life. And he stands up and 3,000 people get saved. And not only that, every day 
after that, people were added to the church because they were being saved. The power of the Holy Spirit is just that. It's powerful if we'll just let him work instead of grabbing hold of the controls ourselves. Number three, it'll be a church to ask the right questions. Look at verse number six of Acts chapter one. I love this. In the middle of, the Bible is humorous at times. And he says this in verse number six. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore a kingdom? The apostles never, could never get this out of their minds. What they really wanted was Jesus to come out and wipe out the Romans so they could set up their kingdom again. And every single time, you, you see this question come up all the time. And, and Jesus had just got through saying, listen, the Holy Spirit's going to be given to you. I'm going to empower you through the Holy Spirit. And they're like, uh, Jesus, um, I got a question. Um, when are you going to take out the Romans? Um, really want my kingdom back. It's almost like us, and I heard Matt Chandler say this the other day. He was talking about crackers and steak. If you have crackers sitting on a table, saltine crackers, and you have a 16-ounce ribeye, still warm, juicy, medium, juicy, medium, <laughs> and saltine crackers, which one are you going to choose? Don't say saltine crackers. You're crazy. Unless you're vegetarian, then it would be like, like Matt Chandler says, beans, okay? Crackers and beans. Which one do you But the truth is, is this. We're always going to choose steak. We're always going to choose that warm, juicy, oh, my goodness, ribeye. Oh, what was I talking about? I don't even know what I was talking about now. No. But the, <laughs> the truth is, is this. And it's the same thing here. They're like, uh, Jesus, when are you going to fulfill your promise to uh, kick out the Romans? And they're, Jesus is like, guys, focus. Why are you talking about saltine crackers here when I'm talking about steak? Why are you worrying with this? It's not for you to even know those things. So listen, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And you're going to be witness to me all over the world. You're going to do incredible things in your life because of what the gospel has done for you. All their questions were little, they were selfish, and they were irrelevant. We as a church do not need to ask little, selfish, irrelevant questions. And churches so many times get bogged down in the things that don't even matter. They don't even matter. They're not connected to the mission. We need to ask big questions. What is God doing in the world, and how can we be a part of it? And I think the 2020 vision is a huge part of that. We're reaching out to communities around to Indonesia. We're going all over the world. We're sending college students to Germany for two years. We've seen high school students going to Puerto Rico. We've got high school students wanting to go to Haiti next year and college students wanting to do all this. And we need to be a part of that. And we need to push and prod and promote big God-sized questions. What is God doing in this world and how can we be a part of it? How can we be a part of it? But also we need to ask unselfish questions. What is God doing in this community? How can we reach those around us? Not just the people in this building, in this room today, but about people in the community, the people across the street from here. How are we reaching those? How are we getting out there and talking to them? What are we doing about that? What about the people that you work with, the people in your family? What about those? Are you having that conversation with them? We need to ask unselfish questions, reaching out of this place and talking about what God's doing. And also relevant questions. God work in us. What about the marriages that are sitting right here that are 
crumbling. What about the children that you had grow up in church but could care less about God today? What about God's work in our midst? What will the gospel do about that? What can we do about that? We need to ask those kind of questions, the big, the relevant, the unselfish questions where we can see, see God do something amazing. And then the last thing, real quick, be a church that does what it's supposed to do. Look at verses 9 through 11. The apostles, man, they're just like us. It says, after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud. While they were watching and they could no longer see him, and they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven the same way that you saw him go. And I always read it just like that. And I always kind of passed on by. But the way that it should be read is this. Why are you staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, and he's coming back. He's going to return. He's coming back. So in other words, do what you're supposed to be doing. Go back to verse number 8. What are they supposed to be doing? It says, But now you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Why are you staring into heaven? Jesus is gone. He's coming back someday. And your parents that are lost need you to tell them. Your cousins that are lost need you to tell them. Your co-workers that are lost need you to go to them and tell them. Your children who are lost need you to go to them and tell them. Apostles, followers, he says, quit staring into heaven. He's gone. Go do what you're supposed to do. Get out there, get out of this building, get out of these walls, and do what you're supposed to do. And a church that does that, a church that focuses on the gospel, a church that is empowered by the Holy Spirit, a church that asks the right question, a church that just gets out there and does what it's supposed to do, what it was designed to do, what the mission is for the church, then you'll have a church that reaches the tipping point and goes over the edge, and you'll go from being an ordinary Diet Coke sitting on the shelf, an ordinary church that's sitting on the corner somewhere, an ordinary Christian that just does their own thing, and you become an empowered, exciting, energetic, passionate follower of Christ that is making a difference in the world. I want, I want that. I want that for myself. I want that. That is one of my goals in the youth ministry is to see them be a mobilized force at South Warren or Greenwood or wherever they go to school and then in this community. I want to see that. But I want to see that spread all the way across this church and see something incredible that God can only do that we can't work up. Uh, Perry Noble said this, and I'm going to finish with this. Perry Noble says, If we had half the passion for Jesus that Chick-fil-A has for chicken, we could easily win the world for Christ. Think about that. If we had half the passion for Jesus as Chick-fil-A has for chicken, we could easily win the world to Christ. Won't you bow your heads and close your eyes? Please, let's pray. I don't know where you are uh, on this whole spectrum. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I don't even know who Jesus is. I've never had that. I, I don't know... I don't even know what it means to have a relationship with Christ. 
I promise you that when you enter a relationship with Jesus, when you place your faith in Christ, it, is the, it begins the greatest journey of your life because God takes you from being a sinner to a saint. He takes you from being lost to found. He takes you from being dead to alive. If that's you, I encourage you today, enter that relationship with him. Get to know not the Savior, but your Savior. And you may be sitting here and you're an ordinary Diet Coke. You've just come to church for years and years, sat on a pew, and walked out, and nothing's ever changed. I pray and I encourage you to let God and beg God to do something in your life. The world needs us to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and tell them about Christ. There's somebody sitting in your family that desperately needs you to tell them about Jesus before it's too late. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your gospel. We thank you for what it means for, for my life and how you changed me. And Lord, I thank you for what it means to so many people in this room. And Lord, I pray that you would take us as a church and us as families and us as individuals over the tipping point where something amazing happens and you do something incredible in us. Lord, I pray for that today. Lord, I pray that we would seek it and our delight would be in you today. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's